How can the church engage those who experience same-sex attraction with both compassion and truth? And how can Catholics proclaim the truth about the human person and human love in a culture that is increasingly confused about the nature and the meaning of human sexuality? Join us today as we discuss these questions and more with Father Paul Check, Executive Director of Courage International. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan. Today we're talking about a, a fascinating uh, topic on how the church deals with those struggling with same-sex attraction. I'm joined here in our studios uh, with our regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization, again here at Franciscan University. And we're happy to welcome Father Paul Check. Uh, Father, you're a priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Uh, you're a later vocation, ordained in 97, uh, but prior to that you served as an officer in the Marine Corps, yes. uh, which I have great admiration uh, for, for your work both as a priest and uh, as a Marine. You have an STB from the Gregorian in yes. Rome, yes. Uh, as well as an STL in Moral Theology from the University of the Holy Cross as well as yes. in, in Rome. In 2008 you were selected as the Executive Director of Courage International, which provides uh, pastoral support for individuals with same sex attraction who wish to live according to the church's teaching on chastity. Yes. So welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is an important topic. It's, uh, everyone's talking about it. It's been a conversation because of the synod on the family. Um, before we get into a lot of things, could you help us make sure we're all on the same page? Sure. What, what does the church teach about uh, those who, uh, who homosexuals or those who uh, experience same-sex attraction? Well, they're very much in the heart of the church and very much in the heart of our Lord. Uh, because he has uh, uh, a deep affection for anyone yeah. who is uh, trying to work out the question, who am I? And I would say that from uh, my experience of working in this field for 10 years, homosexuality is first not a question of sex. Right. It's a question of a misperception about identity. And because of that misperception, then there is an understandable uh, way to see how people would act huh, on, that, on that, that misperceived identity. So I think a lot of our work is to help people understand who they truly are. Mm. Uh, in the presence of a systematic theologian, I'm gonna take a risk and say <laughs> that uh, the, the most quoted line from the Second Vatican Council, at least by St. John Paul, was from Gaudium et Spes 22, Christ the new Adam fully reveals man to himself. So the mission of the incarnation to restore uh, confusion or rather to, to, to restore a proper identity because of confusion about, a, about, about identity. And I think that's very much at the heart of our work. So uh, we actually don't use the word homosexual as a noun, and I think the ecclesiastical vocabulary also stays away from that, so that we don't reduce someone's identity to one facet, mm -hmm. albeit important in the way they see themselves. But in justice and in charity to say, no, child of God, 
That's right. First and foremost, that's your identity. Yeah, right. You know, that is so reassuring, Father. It's not about sex. Yes. That's a reductionism that I think we need to resist. It's about the self. Yes. About ontology. Yes. Who am I? Yeah. Identity. Yeah. That's well said. And the Catechism speaks of the psychological genesis of homosexuality without entering into the question of what that is, leaving it to the natural sciences. But by saying psychological genesis, it's not locating the problem at the ontological level, at no. the level of being, at the level right. of identity. And I yeah. think that's a, that's a very important point right. in the church's uh, approach to the question so that she preserves the dignity of the person right. and gives them that hope yeah. that we all need and want yeah. in Christ. I'm so grateful that you quoted St. John Paul, who was quoting Vatican II, yes. Vatican II, because, yeah. I mean, you have to coordinate the effort looking at the natural law to yes. see what human nature is. Yes. And at the same time, yeah. to accept the gift of supernatural grace yes. and the light of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ came to give. But not just from on high, he came down to us, yes. assumed human nature. Yes. The glory of God is man fully alive, yes. quoting yeah. Irenaeus, Irenaeus there as yes. well. You know? right. And to show us who we are yes. more fully. Yeah. Not just to deify us, yes. but also to harmonize us, as they say. Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. that's right. Uh, uh, in, in Genesis, where uh, the sacred writer says, it's not good for man to be alone, right. yeah. that's often a, uh, the first reading for a nuptial mass. And because the explanation there is that Eve, in a sense, completes Adam. But I think another way to follow what you said, Dr. Hahn, to understand uh, Genesis 2.18, I think it is, it's not good for man to be alone, the incarnation. So the uh, lover wants to be in the company of the beloved and share uh, the condition in which which we are living. So in that sense, there is a closeness in the heart of Christ to the human condition, and it it is so full that he enters in completely then into it. The the, the fact that uh, you can tell these people uh, who have this same-sex attraction, that you aren't the problem. It's yes, not your being. Right. Yes. Uh, it's just a function of how you behave, yes. and we need to change that yes. at the moral level. Yes. But metaphysically, you're fine. Yes. Right. You're pleasing to God. He made you. You're yes. His creature, yes. an expression of His love, and you ought to rejoice yes. in that datum. That's yeah. right. I think that gives hope. Yeah. It does. And, and so, so we're, you've laying the foundation that it is not their identity. As much as they may want to or others may want to force right. that on them, it really their identity is a child uh, yes, of, of God. God. Uh, yeah. And they have dignity, worth, and value. Yeah. And it is the, the behavior, the moral behavior that is at question. Yes. Um, and so summarize that and even some of the church's language when it talks about that, that, that moral behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often see the, the term, you know, disordered. Right. Um, is, is that... Uh, the best way to describe that? Is there a better way? Yeah. What does that mean? What does well, that mean? Let's, let's go back to Gaudi Mitzpez for a moment yeah. to see how we can uh, uh, understand this approach that the church teaches, takes. So we were talking about Gaudi Mitzpez 22 a moment ago. 24 says that man finds fulfillment in this sincere and full gift of self. Yeah. So we are made for self-giving and it is in that self-gift that we are and find fulfillment in the natural order and in the supernatural order, okay. So in the intimate sphere, to go back to uh, the creation story, the story of our identity, we see that uh, that fulfillment is in the, the union, the covenant of love that is, is husband and wife. So when the church says uh, avoid doing these things, she's saying uh, if you act in a way unchastely, mm. the very thing for which you are reaching or the very thing that you hope to have, yeah 
you will lose. Right. Now that can happen in a number of ways. And I think for consistency and integrity, we have to say there are a lot of different ways in which we can breach continents. Right. So yeah. masturbation, pornography, contraception, which is very closely related to the topic of homosexuality. That's right. And fornication and adultery and in vitro fertilization and artificial insemination, all these in some way are contrary to uh, that which is already within us. Mm, and yeah. I think one of the definitions of sin is, it, sin brings us into collision with ourselves. Yeah. Or we are cross purposes. So right. when the church approaches the topic of homosexuality, she's doing so within the context of the virtue of chastity, yes. yeah. which is very much part of the good news. That's, that's so important because the virtue of chastity reminds us that virtues are to the soul what muscles are to the body. They, yes. they make us whole. They make right. us manly in a sense. Yes. They take us from children you know, to, to maturity. At the same time, we have to recognize then that if chastity is the virtue, then we face disorders within ourselves no matter what our orientation might be. Yes. You know, because to, to fight concupiscence, which is, you know, in some ways the most elusive theological notion, and yet one of the most profoundly influential forces yes. in, our, in our psyche, in, yeah. in our society as well, you know, that is the result of original sin. It gives rise to actual sin, but concupiscence yeah. is not sin itself, but it is the presence of a disorder. It is, and uh, yeah. I, I, not to challenge what you've said, Dr. Han, but I think concupiscence is something that people actually can come to very quickly. In the Phaedrus, right. doesn't uh, Plato give us the parable of the, of the chariot and one horse is pulling right. this right. way, the divided and one horse is right. pulling exactly. this way? So, right. I mean, right. he couldn't right. give an account for the fall from grace, but he right. knew it. A kind right. of right. schizophrenia. He, exactly. he could feel it. Right. Yeah. Right. He could feel it. Uh, Chesterton, at the end of um, Orthodoxy, says, uh, when does a man who's born upside down know when he's right side up? Right. And, and so we all have this sense that uh, the abnormal is the normal because right. we have a, the feeling of uh, uh, being at cross purposes with ourselves. So I think we can, we can get people to that understanding. Yeah. And then of course, grace is the balm that heals the wound and strengthens and moves us in the direction of the fulfillment for which right. we're made right. properly and we need the virtue. In my tradition as a Protestant, concupiscence wasn't simply the result of original sin and the cause of actual sin, it was sin. Yeah. Yeah. Luther well, you know, interprets Romans Identified. 7 that way. Right. Right. Exactly, yeah. and that was problematic for yeah. me and for right. many others that I knew because when you recognize that concupiscence, that, that, that um, what the rabbis call the yetzer hara and the yetzer hato, that mm -hmm. you're, you're inclined to the evil as well as the good, you're torn right down the middle. Right. That this is you know, a darkened intellect because yes. you can't see the higher truths right. all that clearly. Right. It's a weakened will, you yes. can't choose the higher goods that easily, it's difficult, yeah. but also disordered appetites, yeah. passions and affections. Yeah. Suddenly you're looking in a mirror like, okay, that's the result of original, that's the cause of actual sin, but this is precisely the, the patient that the divine surgeon is working on. Yes. Right. And all of us are afflicted with that sort of disorder in different ways. Yeah. Well, and the Catholic anthropology gives us an explanation for the problem, and it also gives us hope. Yeah. It, it means it sure that we are not stuck or bound in uh, a rather dismal or unhappy right. view. Yeah, right. it's of essential that we escape that, that Protestant uh, uh, notion. Yes, with respect right. to yeah, It's an Dr. inherited disorder, but yeah. it's not yeah. an inherited <laughs> guilt right. or inherited yeah. condemnation. But, but if, if you identify the two, you know, the, pro the propensity, the attraction yes. to sin with the sin itself, yes. that's paralyzing. It is. Yes. I, I spent four and a half years in Rome, and I was in a state of constant agitation of appetite 
because of cappuccino. <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't pass a bar without this stirring of yeah. desire. That wasn't a sin. No, no. I mean, right. And if I had given into it, I'd be yeah. broke pretty quickly. Well, and not, not in any way to um, make light of the important topic, sensitive and controversial that we're addressing today, but uh, I like to say, for me, two of the essential food groups are red wine and chocolate cake. Oh, yes. And yeah. because I travel a lot and when I come home, uh, yeah. it's, I'm late for dinner and the airlines haven't fed me, uh, the, the cook at the rectory where I live is a very benevolent lady, and so the sideboard will often have the chocolate cake and the Cabernet. The very thing that I want those things to give right, me, right, the joy, right, is going yeah. to elude me if I overreach right, a prudent right. limit. Right, now, it's yeah. easy to see that with regard to saturated fat and refined sugar and these right, sorts of things that right. no one is arguing about, right. really, today. Right. It may be a little more difficult to see with regard to sex, sure. right. but the principle yeah. is absolutely the same. I'm, I'm grateful that you deploy that word prudence because that's really at the heart of the matter. It, yes. it's, it's a matter of respecting the truth, yes. seeing reality as right. it is. Yes. I mean, Chesterton says the only sin is to call green grass gray. Yes. It's a lie. Yeah. I, I think it was Bernard Lonergan who said it's a deliberate stupidity. Yeah. You, know, you know what you should be doing, yes. but you pretend otherwise. That's, right. that's dishonest. Yes, that's right. And both the will and the intellect are involved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so you kind of painted the picture uh, very clearly of that, that the moral law right. is really there for our happiness, for yeah. our joy, as you, you talked about last night, whether mm -hmm. it's, it's chocolate cake, yeah. and, but, but, but anything to, uh, in the sense of temperance, obviously, and then when we're looking at the, the issues of, of chastity, we have many uh, sins against chastity yeah. that come into play. Yeah. So is homosexuality different yeah. than some of these others, and is it? That's a great question, yeah. I, I, and I'm glad you raised it. In, in the Summa, in the second part of the second part, Thomas lists four sins which are contra naturum. Right, yeah. One is homosexual behavior, one is bestiality, but the other two are contraception mm. and masturbation. Yeah. So all four, all four of, of those are contra naturum because they do not allow for the finality right. of the sexual faculty. Wow. So when people talk about contra, the, 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 uh, homosexual behavior is contra naturum, it, it, of course it can sound very difficult for people, but Thomas's understanding uh, of uh, the sexual faculty, the complementarity of the sexes, gives us the proper ground and context in which to evaluate certain things. So it doesn't seem like we're picking on a particular right. group let, of let people. Me, let right. me clarify this. Would so you do that for St. Thomas Aquinas, yes. in his greatest masterpiece, yes. the Summa Theologiae, yes. is speaking now not about his own opinion. What right. he's distilling yes. is a kind of spiritual legacy yes. that goes all the way back to the New Testament, to Jesus himself, and really all the way back to Sinai and the law of Moses. That's right. So when we hear something that is contra naturum, it is against nature. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't just law that is alien or extrinsic that right. is imposed upon us. Right. Right. It's a law that arises from within our own nature yes. that is there to fulfill, to perfect, to lead yes. us to happiness. Yes. So whatever we do that is against nature is against the very self that we are. And then we come into collision with ourselves That's as we right. talked about That's before. That's right. I yeah. mean, that is so... I mean, in some ways it's discreet, in other ways it's, it's bigger than a billboard. The, I mean, that's so important. Law for us has a kind of a positive aspect yeah. to it in which someone else is deciding for me what I'm going to do. I have to stop at this corner with the stop sign. Right. And it seems, uh, uh, could, be, could seem a right. little bit arbitrary. But from our standpoint, law has to do with community, right. with people living together in a way that is harmonious and that helps to order uh, the desires 
and the interests and the affections and so on that are within us so that we do not betray ourselves. Right, right. It's sort of like a game of tennis. Some people would object to the net because they see that as inhibiting, but yeah. in fact, that's what liberates it's us. liberating. Yeah. Orthodoxy liberates yes. precisely to the extent it restrains. Yes, well, Jesus said that, right? That the truth will set us free. Yeah. But virtue, of course, has two pieces. It restrains what is not proper, but the greater part of virtue right. is directing us to the good, the true, and yeah. the beautiful. Set us free. And that is very much uh, the case with right. regard to chastity. Right. Amen. Um, stay with on, Fr on Franciscan University Presents for our next segment. Christians who are homosexual are called, as all of us are, to a chaste life. Fundamentally, they are called to enact the will of God in their life by joining whatever sufferings and difficulties they experience in virtue of their condition to the sacrifice of the Lord's cross. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to uh, bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about the sensitive and controversial and very important topic um, of those suffering from same-sex attraction with Father Paul Cech, Executive Director of Courage. Um, Father, let's go a little deeper. How does the church uh, describe and, and kind of uh, delineate yeah. uh, its teaching on homosexuality? Well, uh, I think first, uh, she doesn't approach the question as an issue or as a topic in the civil order or in the debate about same-sex unions and adoption and the rest. She's aware of those things and obviously uh, has a, an interest in preserving the dignity of sure. marriage and forming conscience. But really, the church approaches this question as something very personal, hmm. as a lived reality in the lives of individual men and women or individual families. And so her language in the catechism is very careful after that. She wants to distinguish three things, the person, mm -hmm. uh, the inclination or the attraction, and the action itself. Okay. So the person is always good, the foundation of our dignity created in the image and likeness of God, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ and invited to grace in this life and glory in the life to come and the beneficiaries of grace, obviously. These things are the most important thing that can be said about any of us. Right. The action is gravely contrary to chastity, uh, as all external breaches of continence are gravely contrary to chastity. Whether they rise to the level of mortal sin depends on whether the other two prongs, knowledge and consent, are there. Huh? We always make that distinction in moral theology. And then it's the middle one, the inclination that is, I think, the especially difficult yeah. one. The words that catechism used to describe the in inclination are objectively disordered. Now those words understandably fall very hard on yeah. ears yes. because it sounds like a moral judgment. You are disordered. That's right. And that's not what the catechism says. It's the uh, appetite, if you like, or the inclination or the attraction that is not in harmony with the story of man's incompleteness and fulfillment in the covenant of marriage, respecting the complementarity of the sexes 
and the procreative potential of the sexual faculty. So when you put the homosexual inclination alongside that, you say, could it ever be fulfilled in a way consistent with the way that God has uh, directed or designed human nature? And the answer is no. Uh. So the church in her maternal solicitude for people says, don't act on that inclination. Because though it may bring intense pleasure or gratification or satisfaction of a kind, it will not fulfill your desire for a union. Mm. Right? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's that pastoral perspective that is so sorely needed. You know, it's sort of like a man who's dying of thirst who's just unable to say, I can't resist drinking salt water. Yeah. You know, you have to say, you have to, you know, uh, because this is going to undo you. Yes. Uh, So whatever thirst it might quench, it's going to do something more ravaging. It will bring harm. But in in the meantime, the whole thrust of the culture tells us that the salt is sugar. Is good. Mm -hmm. And we have to disabuse the culture. Well, and of course, that that. that goes back a long way, uh, doesn't it, Dr. Martin? I mean, there's a connection here between, uh, within the civil order, there being a separation between sex and babies. Yeah. Yeah. So once that that, uh, division uh, comes about, then it's really a short step right. Right. to separating sex from marriage and then sex from what we would call a recognizable uh, right. design or teleology, yeah. and then you have all variety of things. Right. Now, and I'm not arguing from consequences, which is, uh, can be kind of a weak argument and can make people upset, uh, saying, you know, where will the marriage question go? No, our, our attention to this is really at the foundation of the person right. and the right. question of who are we. Yeah as human beings. And, and so when, when we have the church talking about it as a disorder, there are other things as we talked in the previous segment, other things that are also disordered yes. uh, contrary to. Yeah. So they're not alone no. in that. Sometimes yeah. that's what that comes across. It does, and especially when the church does need to raise her voice about the topics of protection of the dignity of marriage within the civil sphere, it can sound as though we are unduly uh, severe on a particular group of people. And if we have not been attentive to the other aspects of chastity, then uh, unfortunately it can appear immoderate. So I think the foundational question for us really uh, as Catholic Christians is, do we believe that chastity is part of the good news of Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ? Mm -hmm. I mean, he sure did. And the fact is, do we believe that we need it as much as others do? That's right. We're not just reaching them, we are them. But but, uh, to speak in a somewhat polemical way, it it does seem to me that if the church had been tougher uh, on contraception 30-some years ago with Humanae Vitae, we might have had an easier time of it now in catechizing about homosexuality. Well, I think so, because deliberately sterile sex in marriage, if it is something we can agree to, and we know we can't, again, for anthropological reasons, if we can agree to that, then it's a very short step to saying deliberately sterile sex over here. And and particularly from a public sphere who doesn't have any uh, necessary appreciation or love for the teachings of the church, they look at it and say, what is the real difference? they start breaking down all but, the But how do you account for the widespread obtuseness when it comes to that connection? Well, it, it's transparent to us yeah. and to the tradition, yeah. but to great numbers of people. Well, I, I, I think I would say that we live in an age of sentimentality as, yeah. dis, as distinct from an age of compassion, which yeah. we could talk about. And I think to a large degree, the will and the emotions are impeding the intellect from doing the work that it's intended to do, and it becomes harder to see the truths, and then it's only really through something perhaps like suffering that that is dissolved, 
And right. then there is that hope that we, in humility, all of us can embrace yeah. Uh, yeah. the truth. You know, at the risk of oversimplifying, you know, St. Thomas has a good treatment of how it is that the soul and the body are both good, but the soul must govern the body. Yes. Within the soul, you have these two principal faculties of the intellect, right. which knows the truth, right. and the will that yes. must choose the good. Now, that's the way it should work, you know, and in the Garden of Eden, it did. Yeah. But ever since original sin and all our weaknesses, there's a sense in which there's a, a battle. Yeah. Uh, the will has to conform itself to what the intellect reveals to be true. Yes. And the higher truths especially. And if it doesn't, as Paul points out in Romans 1, and St. Thomas mm -hmm. frequently quotes him, you know, there's a, there's a reversal. Yeah. Suddenly the, the will begins to rationalize yes. what it, I should say the intellect begins to rationalize what the will desires, right. even if it's disordered, yes. especially if it's disordered. Yeah. So in the process, I think the church has a very difficult and arduous task because you've got to love the sinner and hate the sin, mm -hmm. but you've also got to explain that the reason why you hate the sin is precisely because you really love good. the sinner. Yeah. Right. And I think at the end of the day, you've got to love the sinner much more yeah. than you hate the sin. Yeah. But be ready, because even if you do all of that, right. you're still going to get it in the face. Well, yeah. yes. C could I say that uh, when we go to confession and we kneel down and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, we are saying, uh, dear God, please love the sinner yeah. But I know you, you hate the sins I'm about to confess. That's right. That's so if right. we can make that very personal in that exactly. way, uh, uh, th then I think that helps us. Uh, look, a lot of the people who are part of our apostolate, uh, I, probably all of them, in their humility will say that when they were living in a certain way, contrary to their own human good, there was something inside of them that said, this is not right. right. So, yeah. Ha yeah. but having made the choice for it, then they, the rationalization that you spoke of, Dr. Hahn, will, will, will take place. But the, I think the hope here is that conscience, though it can be degraded, right. can never right. entirely yeah. be silenced. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's go to the compassion. Uh, yeah. Let's go to many people know people, either coworkers, yes. family, friends, right. uh, who, who struggle uh, yeah. or suffer, if yes. you will, from same-sex attraction. What do we do? Well, How do we deal with it? And, and if, thank you, Michael. Could we go back to that distinction between yes. sentimentality yes. and compassion? In his last encyclical, yeah. The Pope, uh, Emeritus Pope Benedict, made that distinction in, in one of the opening paragraphs. And he said, uh, the difference between sentimentality and compassion is the truth. Compassion is founded on the truth of the person right. and, of course, the efficacy of grace. So let's take a section from the Gospel, John 8, the woman caught in unchastity. Neither do I condemn you. There's the call to compassion. Now go and do not commit the sin anymore. There's the call to conversion. Yes. Now both are there in equal measure in the yeah. preaching of Christ. Right. This little section is uh, uh, what Monsignor Bill Smith of Happy Memory used to call the gospel in miniature. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that in our pastoral care, we want to ensure that both are there. Now I don't say that every conversation has to be about conversion, conversion, conversion. But it should be plain enough that as we approach the person, we don't want to do anything mm -hmm. that would undermine their dignity or suggest, well, that's the best you can do. Right. Or that's right, all you right, can do. Right. Yeah. That's not right. Christ-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the low expectations that no. they need, and it doesn't help them, because no. ultimately go back to the loving them so much that yeah. you want their good, that and you there, want their happiness. There's still that right. voice within them. Perhaps it's being impeded, the voice of conscience, and we're trying to reach that. Right. And this is one of the important roles of the church in her preaching and teaching is to hold up that truth so that even when we're in the midst of uh, living contrary to it, that beacon is there. 
Right. I can hear that. Yeah. yeah. And that will that that has can have a deep deep effect. Yeah. It, it is striking that the people who are most inclined to sentimentalize mm. these matters think that they are the most loving. Yes. When right. in fact they're they're root they're they're simply steeped in falsehood. Yeah. They're not loving at all. Well, they're trivializing and cheapening the are. value of of the choices that they people are. make. And and yeah. you know sometimes we talk about the hard sayings of Jesus, but when we read through the gospel, some of the, his words are bracing. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and they're very sharp even, yeah. uh, but, but he was also always surrounded by the people who needed him the most. Right. So there must have been something in the way that he spoke, right. this, the way that he approached people, that though his words were clear and sometimes sharp, they wanted to be in his company. That's right. right. And they yet, were in the midst of all that compassion, he still made himself quite crucifiable. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. And I mean, that's a, that's a, a helpful reminder, it, too, because it is. at the end of the day, I think the church, as the mystical body of Christ, is going to undergo something similar, no matter how compassionate I, I'm so, we are. I'm so pleased yeah. you brought that up, uh, Dr. Hahn. In the section on the creed, on the missionary role of the church, there are a couple of lines which suggest exactly what you're saying. So in my talks, I suggest to people that the church represents the Paschal mystery in two ways. One is in her liturgical life, in her sacramental life. Uh, so throughout the liturgical year, we look at the, the mysteries of our redemption and in the sacraments, of course, those are represented, right. not represented, but represented uh, deeply in, 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 uh, in the ritual and of course in the soul. But then the other way, the second way in which the church represents the Paschal mystery is in her being. Yeah. as the bride, the and the bride will follow necessarily the path of the bridegroom uh, to her perfection, to her fulfillment. So this yeah. is to your point. Yeah. 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 So, so we have the truth without love yeah. is, is harsh, right. without compassion or, or, sentimenta or, or yeah. love without real truth then ends up sentimentality. sentimentality yeah. right. um, and both are unworthy. So we've right. got, we've got the, the, the trouble of actually living that out yeah. Uh, yeah. in human relations. Um, right. so, so when we look at the church today, mm -hmm. what is something the church needs to put in the forefront uh, in dealing with uh, people who are struggling with that? Has the church individually as well as a well, I think we have to go back to a confidence that what the church teaches with regard to the human person is true and leads to fulfillment. Yeah. I would say we are often unsteady yeah. in that way, and we're acting uh, out of uh, an obedience to form, let's call it, mm -hmm. without a conviction that these words are life-giving, they may be hard to hear, but they are liberating, mm -hmm. and they lead into the direction of fulfillment, and the cross is still there. But of course, the cross is redemptive. It's what gives meaning and purpose and hope to the particular struggle, whatever yeah. it happens to be. You know, you mentioned the cross, and just a few moments ago, you also mentioned conversion. And to mm -hmm. me, you know, even after more than a quarter of a century being Catholic, these represent the single most distinctive truths, you know, for us. Because conversion, way back for me, was, you know, once in the past, mm -hmm. when I was 14 and I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. But conversion for yeah. Christ is take up your cross every day yeah, and follow me. You know, conversion is ongoing. It's yes. ever deepening. It's never easy because it's not just picking up rosary beads or your right. New Testament. I mean, right. it's a cross. And the fact is we all have these interior struggles that are contrary to our nature. Yeah. And so the cross is always fitted to what it is, yeah. but it's never going to be something, oh, you know, uh, like my mattress, oh, my cross. It's not yes. going to be comfortable. <laughs> and the yeah, cross will be that means to yeah, address it's not, it's not an all-day sucker. 
<laughs> and I think what's most endearing about the church is that she takes seriously right. the human person, yes. the awful dignity of man, yes. that he has this capacity equally for salvation well, and, that, and damnation. And St. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Right. So right. there, that's at the center of the kerygma. Right, which is foolishness to the Greeks. Yes, you know. yeah, and stumbling block. And still is. Yeah. I mean, it really is a stumbling block. Well, we've got to put some starch back into the personnel <laughs> who are to promote this truth. And, all and, agree. and on that note, uh, we'll take a break right now. Join us for uh, the third segment of Franciscan University Presents. There's need of a special effort to help persons with a homosexual inclination understand church teaching. At the same time, it is important that church ministers listen to the experiences, needs, and hopes of the persons with a homosexual inclination to whom and with whom they minister. Dialogue provides an exchange of information and also communicates a respect for the innate dignity of other persons and a respect for their consciences. I am a communication arts major, the president of Film Club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know going to daily mass and a frequent confession and things like that, because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually you know, can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, this, this program is being recorded right here in our communication arts studio. Um, our students are operating the cameras and equipment. Our regular panelists, our, our theology faculty here at the university. Um, Father Paul, Please. we've been talking about a, a challenging uh, and sensitive topic sure. uh, with those uh, struggling with same-sex attraction. Right. Um, you know, as we look at this, uh, you, you brought up on break a, a very interesting analogy with St. John the Baptist. Baptist yeah. you know, so maybe you could just explain that a little bit. Well, I think we always do well to attend to the words of the Master and, uh, and look closely at the people for whom he had admiration and respect. Mm -hmm. Uh, as a former military man, I'm very happy that the centurion is a high place uh, in our Lord's mind and heart. But uh, with regard to John, there's no man uh, born of woman greater than he, our Lord's words. Um, let's remember uh, uh, the fulfillment of John's life in his martyrdom uh, because he opposed the, the adulterous union of, of, uh, of Herod. Mm. St. Mark records uh, a, a striking line I know he's an inspired writer, but I don't know how he knew this as a matter of human instrumentality. Maybe Dr. Harn could shed, shed some light on that. But here, here's the line. When Herod listened to John, he was much perplexed. He was disturbed because John was saying to Herod, stop what you're doing. But then goes on to say, when Herod heard John preach, he was much perplexed, but he heard him gladly. Mm. But Herod listened to John gladly. Why? Well, first of all, John was preaching with an evident charity towards Herod. Right. His words were strong, but the charity was clear, and Herod knew it, 
And furthermore, the words were true, and Herod, though he was living in a way gravely contrary to his own good, Herod was still made for the truth, yes. and he could still recognize the truth, and he yeah. was drawn to that truth. Mm. So I think in that sense, uh, many of these things we're thinking about are with regard to marriage and so on. We can look to John's example. Now, we know the end John met, and he gave glory to God through his martyrdom, right. and that is in some ways a very uh, uh, frightening prospect. Right. But what we're addressing here now is John's confidence in the truth, That's right. and that Herod was made for the truth, and he responded, right. uh, something truth. within him leapt out. Right. Yeah. You know, the evangelist also speaks of how John the Baptist came in the spirit of, the, of Elijah. Yeah. And you go back to Elijah, and you can see what he was doing with uh, the king and with Jezebel. Yeah. And, and there's something of the spirit of Jezebel, I suspect, alive not only in the first century with Herod, uh, but also in our day, too. Yeah that uh, it, it isn't just same-sex attraction. No. There is a disorder that just causes our intellects to rationalize it what does. No, we know deep down is wrong. We do, and maybe we should explain, I think, to some degree why that's the case. Yeah. The deepest desire we have is to love and be loved, right. and to know and be known in an intimate and personal way. It's not good for man to be alone, so ultimately there's the union of, of the soul with, with the triune God. So if it sounds like a voice is saying, you can't, love and be loved in the way that you want. You can't know and be known in a way consistent with your own self-understanding. People are going to bridle at that and say, yes. how dare you tell me That's right. who yeah. I am? How yeah. dare yeah. you tell me the way that I'm going to find fulfillment? So food, shelter, water, these things are immediate needs, but the foundational need that distinguishes us uh, as God's children is this desire for love yeah. and intimacy and that personal knowledge. Right. So that's why some of the preaching is going to fall hard on the right. right. but nevertheless it is to love in a way consistent with our nature that the church is saying. Well yeah. I think that, that's the theme that resonates so well in that film that sort of accompanies the movement that you've been spearheading, the Thank desire you. of the, the everlasting, everlasting hills. hills. I mean, yeah. you've got three characters portrayed, and they're all different, yes. yet they, they suffer from yeah. the same attraction, yeah. which is disordered. Yes. Could you maybe throw some light on well, that? Well, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Martin, for raising the question. Um, I give a lot of talks, mostly to priests. Most of my work is uh, to assist my brother priests who have the care of souls, understanding the church's teaching on homosexuality and pastoral care. And so when we, when we do a presentation, we, we do a little bit of what we're doing right now, which we'll call Christian anthropology, right? <laughs> who is man in Jesus Christ? And for priests, that's good. I mean, we, we need that. In the popular culture right now, anthropology, the natural law, these sorts of things, they're important, but they're not getting purchase. They're not really persuading people. Mm -hmm. So we have to look elsewhere. What else can we look at? We can look at the empirical sciences. We think there's a lot of good material there right. when the empirical sciences begin with a proper understanding of, of, of who man is. And that can be persuasive, although people will say, well, you have your experts, we have our data, and there can be a kind of collision. So in an effort to transcend some of that, we want to use something that is popular right now, which is the narrative or the story yeah. that says, all right, let's listen to who you are and how you understand yourself to be. So we decided to make a movie. We decided to make a documentary. Um, and it is three of our members who with great humility and courage have said, okay, we will enter, enter into the public discussion now something that's very personal. So I commend I them and I have yeah. tremendous yeah. affection and respect and admiration for them. They are not actors. These are right. real people. Yeah. And then there's the story of how grace 
has helped to transform their hearts. And what we're hoping is that uh, uh, other people will watch and listen, and they'll say, there's something in that for me. Now let's quickly connect this yes. back to our previous conversation, our metaphysics, the universal and the singular, or the universal and the particular. So here, here are three particulars yeah. of human nature, three singulars. The question is, what does this have to do with humanity as a whole? And that's when we enter into this discussion. Right. But we have confidence that the stories are beautifully presented, they're compelling, and they will draw other people who say, yes, someone understands me and can give me a way forward. Well, I applaud you and courage for, for taking this on, but why do you call it the... Uh, Desire for the Everlasting uh, Hills? Hills? Well, I think many of your listeners or, or the viewers are gonna recognize that as an invocation of the litany of the Sacred Heart. Right. Uh, oh, Jesus, uh, uh, Desire of the Everlasting Hills, have mercy on us. But mm -hmm. the phrase, Desire of the Everlasting Hills, actually appears in the second to the last last book of Genesis, when Jacob, who is the patriarch, is blessing his people, and in doing that, he mentions now with a prophetic, prophetic voice, yeah. the, ever, the desire of the everlasting hills, who is Jesus Christ. Right. Of course, yeah. he doesn't say Jesus there, but this is a prophetic announcement right. of who comes to fulfill. That's our, the, the, all our desire. Right, there it is. Well, it is not good for man to be alone. So it is Jesus who will come who, and the, the, the hills are tall, they're solid, they last, they're in that way sort of a representative of creation, right. and Christ is the fulfillment of that. This is the great anthem, I, I think, of, of George Weigel's work, that Jesus is the answer to the question yeah. that is every man's life. I mean, yes. that's central yeah. to the whole right. Christian anthropology of, yes. of John Paul II. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's the theme of, of the church. Yes, who am I, Doctrine what am I, man. why am I, right. yeah. and Christ is the answer to all It's three. the deepest driving need of the human heart. This urgency to make contact Amen. with God. Yeah. And so this is an outreach of courage. Maybe it is. you can back up and tell us a yeah. little bit about courage. Sure. Uh, well, uh, courage, sure. Well, in 1980, uh, the servant of God, Terence Cardinal Cook, received what we think was a grace and even what I'll call with care a charism to begin uh, an apostolate to a group of people who feel as though they are disenfranchised, uh, estranged, mm. and even hated. Mm. Uh, by and from the church. So he reached out to Father Benedict Groeschel and said, can you help me to begin something? And Father Groeschel said, well, this is not my specialty, but I do know a man who has been working in this field for many years. Let me introduce you, your, your eminence, to Father John Harvey, who was an oblate of St. Francis de Sales. Yeah. Father Harvey was really the pioneer uh, in the priesthood in the 20th century on, on the question of homosexuality, both with regard to anthropology, he was a moral theologian, and with regard to the question of pastoral care. So in 1980, the first meeting of Courage in Lower Manhattan, seven men under the care of uh, Father Harvey uh, uh, give expression to this charism in terms of uh, uh, striving for virtue, particularly the virtue of chastity, but not only that, uh, self-giving and the sacramental life fellowship, friendship, and, and setting a good example. So these are the goals of courage embedded deeply in the gospel. Wait, say those again, you said them fast. Okay, so uh, uh, vir a virtuous life with particular attention to the virtue of chastity, but certainly not excluding not the others. Okay, then self-giving, because mm -hmm. self-giving is the fulfillment of the human person and the, the, the grace that the sacraments give to uh, ensure that self-giving is done in a way consistent with our human nature. Uh, then there is fellowship, that means getting people together in a group and sharing one another's struggles and holding each other accountable and raising the bar and giving encouragement, that sort of thing. Then there's friendship, uh, true friendship in a chaste way, which we all need, and then being a good example. 
for yeah. others right. as, a, as disciples. Yeah. Uh, so deeply embedded in the gospel. That's beautiful. How over the years has courage changed or what you've seen in your number of years here? Well, we've grown considerably, of course, Michael. We're in half the diocese of the United States now in about 15 countries overseas. So we are Courage International yes, in that yes. sense. Mm -hmm. But I think something that is certainly different today, uh, the use of the internet, has revolutionized human behavior. I was looking on a website not long ago for the 10, the ten technologies that has, have most revolutionized human behavior. And two of them very clearly have to do with sex. One is the internet because of pornography, and the other was birth control pill. Huh? Mm -hmm. So these things have revolutionized. But uh, as a result of that now, younger and younger, we see the question and the need to address it in a way that does not uh, despoil any young person of their purity and their innocence and, 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 and the childhood uh, dispositions that they have, of course, uh, but clearly needing to uh, address a need now that is much younger than it was when Courage began in 1980. Right. So w with a culture that's um, uh, in confusion and is pretty loud, uh, you know, causing a lot of this confusion, um, how can we as a church, how can Courage, how do we, how do we get through, how do we cut through this and, and make our message heard? I'm just glad you're doing the documentary. That's yeah. um, a beautiful means to use the technology today right. uh, to reach people. Yeah. But I mean, there are so many who care. Sure. Uh, well, people ask me often, Michael, what are the, what, what are the words? Yeah. What do I say to someone who, dot, 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 fill in the blank. Uh, by way of answer, I like to use the example of uh, the woman in the well, the Samaritan woman in John 4. Uh, why? Uh, because not only I I is there a discussion that's taking place that leads to a particular end with regard to morality, there's a relationship that's being built. That's right. There's a trust that's been established. And we know that from the fact that after the conversation is over, she goes and tells everyone, that's right. That's right. here's a man who is interested in me. Yes. Uh, told me things about myself, uh, and she doesn't say this exactly, but he drew good out, saw the good in me and drew it out and held it up for me to see. Huh? That comes from a relationship in a very personal way. So uh, a mutual human need, water, uh, gives rise to the discussion of a, a mutual interest, God, and then our Lord guides the conversation to things that she would like to know more about. How do we share the life of God? the living right. water, grace, right, and then life, life that doesn't end, eternal life, which is also something that she's interested in. And when he's won her confidence, when he has showed an interest in her, when he's built a relationship, when there's trust, then he gets to the moral question. He doesn't start with it, but he doesn't avoid it. That's right. Now, we have 40-some verses in John 4. I mean, we don't know how long that conversation lasted, right. but it took some time to form that platform, if you want to call it that, upon which this could be established. Yeah. We have to have patience. Yeah. We have to. Well, that, here's, that, a, here's a woman with five broken marriages. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not something he harps on, but yeah. it's not something he sidesteps That's either. That's right. right. So you're right. I mean, he starts the conversation. He advances it by saying, if you knew who was talking, you'd yeah. ask of me, and I'd give yeah. you, you know, living water. Right. Yeah. And, you know, she's most interested. That beckons her. Yeah. But, I mean, when he does bring up the fact that you've had five husbands and the one you're with now yeah. is not your own, right. it isn't to condemn her. No. It's to beckon her into something that is downright nuptial and, with him. Exactly. And she knows that those five husbands have not brought her the fulfillment. 
right. It's a, she right. is secret. Right. She knows that. Well, he's strikingly different from any of those guys yes. that used her. Yes. I mean, th- that, that's what impresses me about the scene. It, it's revelatory of so much, but, but there's a sense in which Jesus has an intense, infinite interest yes. in her as right. a person. Yes. He's not the least bit exploitative, no. n- not even in terms of demonstrating her depravity. Right. He, he wants to affirm her as yes. a child of God right. and, and try to beckon, yeah. uh, draw forth yeah. uh, the deepest promise of her being. And to bring her to the fulfillment that she wants. And, and mm. it, I mean, for her, it's, it's, it's eye-opening, it's yeah. breath-catching, yeah. because nobody else treated her that yeah. way. Yeah. Everybody tended to objectify her, yeah. reduce her to her parts. And it's the truth parts. has liberated her. Right. It, she's yeah. grateful for right. it. And she's known she'll as be a back. person. Yeah. She'll it's be not, back. It's not, sir, I perceive you're a gossip or a slanderer. Right. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. Have seen right into me. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Stay with us for the final segment of Franciscan University Presents. God, in his infinite wisdom and love, brings into existence all of reality as a reflection of his goodness. He fashions mankind, male and female, in his own image and likeness. Human beings, therefore, are nothing less than the work of God himself. And in the complementarity of the sexes, they are called to reflect the inner unity of the Creator. They do this in a striking way in their cooperation with him in the transmission of life by mutual donation of the self to the other. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This is our final segment. We've been talking about uh, the topic of those who have same-sex attraction with Father Paul Cech. Regis, could you lead us off? Yeah, I'm, I'm filled with admiration, Father, for, for you and the work that you do. Uh, no end of, of grateful uh, to you. Uh, the fact that you were a Marine uh, is pretty impressive, and I'm wondering which assignment has proved tougher. <laughs> I, I have a son who's a Marine, and he's deployed right now oh. in the Middle East, and I'd ask, I would ask you to pray for him. Sure. But uh, I think both professions uh, require a certain level of courage, mm-hmm. resolution, and, and uh, I, I suspect that you exhibit uh, quite a lot of it. Uh, you had mentioned Father Benedict Grishel, yes. and. Uh, we had a show with him many years ago. Uh, he's gone home to God. Uh, but uh, he said something that has stayed with me. In fact, it had the force of thunder when I first heard it. He said he knew a friend uh, who was steeped in habits of really serious sin. He was an obdurate, uh, practicing homosexual, and he, and he acknowledged it uh, to Father Benedict. He said, look, I'm in a kind of hell right now, and maybe by God's grace someday I will want to get out of it. And the church, she has the map. Yeah. Father, promise me two things. One, don't give up on me. Keep praying for me. And two, don't lose the map. Mm. And I, I think that for a lot of churchmen, they know, they know we have the map, yeah. but they don't seem to have the courage uh, to display it, to remind people, uh, to advertise it. Yeah. Uh, it's not a crisis of faith, but it is a crisis of nerve. Yeah. And, and that's why I think they need the starch. Yeah. Uh, they need a stiffening of the moral constitution. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that your apostolate is just bracing enough that it may, it may succeed in doing 
just that. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Regis. Scott? You mentioned Father Benedict Rochelle, and he did that book, The Courage to be Chaste, which yes. is in so many ways related to your ministry and yes. courage. Uh, and I'm also reminded of what he shared on that show. Uh, interesting, 20 years ago, I think. He talked about working with AIDS patients and uh, those who were really open to the grace of Jesus Christ. He said, I saw them progress in the spiritual life in a matter of months that I hadn't seen in convents working with women religious over decades. Yeah. Yeah. He said the humility that it opens us to and that how draws down grace. It was interesting because that was right before the beginning of a friendship that I had with a person who was deeply affected by same-sex attraction. And we've been friends for nearly 20 years. She was in the lifestyle for 10 years and she's been out for 20. Mm. But I have seen in her, in our friendship, in her prayer, a depth of suffering and a depth of divine romance. I mean, the way Jesus loves her, it's mm. tough, it's hard, it never gets easy. And I think she's astonished that it isn't just removed. But over the years, I have seen, uh, uh, you know, it isn't just like lessons that you read in a book. It's lessons that you see in a soul where Jesus is loving her yeah. in a way that is just divine yeah. and powerful. Never easy, but transformative. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that friendship to me is one of God's greatest gifts. It's not easy. It, it's often inconvenient. But it reveals stuff to me that, you know, mere exegesis doesn't. You know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I want to just express not only appreciation, but gratitude for your faithfulness, and do pray and keep hold of that map. Father? Well, uh, I'd like to uh, conclude with an invitation. Mm. Uh, there are many people I know who feel lost, isolated. Uh, there are many people who may be uh, suffering with a sense of shame, and a, a deep kind of guilt or embarrassment, and are uh, wondering, is there hope, is there understanding, uh, and from a Christian perspective, is there redemption? And the answers to those questions is yes, there is in the person of Christ. Uh, there is no place safer, better, uh, 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 or, or, or more consoling uh, than in the heart of Christ mm -hmm. and in the heart of Christ's church. And so very practically, I would invite people to take a look at our, our website, which is Courage RC for Roman Catholic, CourageRC.net or .org. Uh, and you, you can click on a box right away that, that says, uh, I am a man or woman experiencing same-sex attraction. I am a parent or a loved one. I'm a priest who's interested in helping uh, someone and, and wanting to know more about that. And then someone will start talking with you mm. oh. in a very human way, a face. We took a page out of our friend Tom Peterson's book, Catholics Come Home, that website. We, we've done the same thing because it's very personal, yes. because Christ is very personal. Mm. And so it's that invitation uh, to uh, uh, trust God's grace to overcome fear and anxiety and to find that home in the place of the church. Watch our movie. Desire of the Everlasting Hills, the website is everlastinghills.org, and you will find, I think, insight and hope, uh, appreciation for a particular struggle. And then finally, we have a, uh, an annual national conference every year that a lot of people come to. Our members, Courage and Encourage, which is for our parents, priests, people work in lay ecclesial ministry, those who work in the mental health profession, and uh, uh, information about the upcoming Courage Conference will be available on the website. It's a wonderful place for fellowship, for peace, for prayer, mm. uh, for trust, for building friendships, uh, for finding hope, for overcoming shame and fear. It's, it's, it's a mar magnificent time.
uh, of, of, of fellowship in, in Christ. So the, I just want to leave people with an invitation. Mm. Trust in the goodness of God. He hasn't forgotten you. He has a place for you. He understands this struggle, and the answer is in, in the sacred heart of His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for being on the program today. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to the students, the pack crowd, uh, you know, the other night. And um, you've offered a great, great hope, great witness, great truth uh, that is, thank is you, Michael. built with great love. Um, if you've enjoyed today's topic, um, we want to invite you to watch, uh, as Father mentioned, both on his website. We've also will post uh, the Desire of the Everlasting Hills on faithandreason.com, so you can uh, find it there, as well as this handout, uh, which is a great, great article uh, that Father Paul uh, wrote for us. You can get that at faithandreason.com um, or just by asking. Um, we're dealing with a topic that is sensitive, that is challenging, uh, but it's not going away. Um, you know, th this wouldn't have been, as I was growing up, and for many of us, uh, wouldn't have been a normal part of the culture, but now it is. And uh, we need to bring it into the light, and we need to be able to speak truth and speak with love. Um, but, you know, our children, for our grandchildren, um, when it's prudent and appropriate, uh, but we need to, to let them know that, that this is like any other uh, sin, like any other struggle with, uh, with virtue, uh, but it's something that we as, as Catholics, as Christians, are called to holiness. We are called to true happiness uh, in Christ, and uh, that is ultimately the question for us. Um, when, um, when you think of the example that Father shared of the, the woman at the well uh, and how we came to uh, she came to know the truth that set her free. Uh, it was at uh, maybe a water cooler uh, at your work, uh, where you're going to meet someone through friendship, through just a natural conversation, natural desire uh, for, for interaction and, and, and community. Um, as you go through uh, your life, find those opportunities, befriend those people, go out of your way uh, with a heroic love. Uh, but know that, that that is leading somewhere. The goal isn't simply to have this sentimentality or this, this worldly sense uh, of, of, of charity, but it's directed towards the truth of the human person. Uh, we've got to bring them uh, both, both by our witness, by our love, uh, and by the truth that we share. Uh, that is something that, that can really change lives and, and make, make this world new because we're called to go out and transform and sanctify it through the Holy Spirit. Um, so uh, I want to invite you to be a part of Franciscan University's mission. Uh, maybe that's by uh, coming to take classes here on our campus or through our online programs for uh, catechetics or uh, education or business or so many other programs. Join us at one of our summer conferences here uh, or throughout the country, um, as well as uh, maybe one of our pilgrimages or visit us on faithandreason.com uh, to be equipped uh, to go out to evangelize. Uh, Father, could you close us with a blessing? Yes, and Michael, Dr. Martin, Dr. Ron, thank you so much for your generosity, kindness to me, and the good support that you give uh, through your prayers and your own good example uh, to, to many, uh, starting with me. Yes, through the intercession of Our Lady, who is Queen of Peace and cause of our joy, through the intercession of St. Joseph, through the intercession of St. John Paul II, may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381, or call 740 Two eight three six three five seven.